This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we are previewing the NFL Championship Game Weekend 2021. But first, a few housekeeping notes. Again, if you would like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Also, if you would like to be part of our mailing list this year or going forward, please contact us there, especially as we head into the offseason. This is where we separate ourselves as a show in a league format. You're not going to get better NFL offseason or NFL rookie draft coverage than right here. Uh, all right. So I also do want to mention a couple of other things that are we're, we are overhauling as a company. So this is a Ronnie Duncan Studios uh, network show uh, more or less so the website is going to be reformatted if you have been a part of our mailing list so far you know that that's going to be a part of things we are going to possibly uh, be branching out and doing some additional stuff i don't have any definite announcements yet on that front but the website will be overalled and uh, both of us will be putting up content uh, over time on that Uh, so look forward to when we rebrand the website and get all of that taken care of uh, so that it looks a little bit better than the blog version that I've currently had up there that uh, you may have been following along at with at one time or another for uh, my personal content. But we're going to have some stuff when we give out our uh, off-season rankings or um, the biggest potential free agents like Dak Prescott or uh, Deshaun Watson in this case, guys who could move. I, I guess not free agents per se, but the biggest possible storylines. Uh, that will be going up on the website, so you'll want to follow along with that. And we will definitely link those as we kind of go through the offseason because I think that's where uh, we really separate ourselves as a show. Now, let's turn our attention to the stories of the weekend, and let's get into it. The divisional weekend is done. We have only four teams left. By now, I'm sure everybody knows exactly who they are. They've gotten most of the preview coverage but they haven't gotten the best preview coverage because that's right here. And only two will be playing in Tampa in two weeks' time. So what are you excited about, my friend, for this weekend? I'm excited to watch, personally, who I think, at least in my lifetime, um, two of the best quarterbacks going at it, finally in a playoff game in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Um, As a Packer fan, maybe a little biased, um, but I'm really, really excited to watch those two go at it. But I also think Bill's Chiefs is going to be an outstanding game as well. So that's pretty exciting. We've been deprived on multiple occasions of this matchup in the Super Bowl, but we get it in a championship game. And honestly, it's the thing that everybody's wanted to see. The GOAT versus the BOAT. The best uh, of all time versus the greatest of all time. And uh, most accomplished versus the best to ever do it. So I really like to see who puts this on their resume as the big skin on the wall. But ultimately, let's review how we got here. Uh, Go back to the divisional weekend review. So let's start with the first game that was on Saturday, the Rams at the Packers. Uh, I know that you and our text chain um, were very confident going into the game. I, however, happen to be the most nervous Packer fan uh, that there possibly could be. Um, 
I don't want to revisit anytime soon the 2014 NFC Championship game or any of the anxiety I had during that. Um, but even during the 2010-2011 uh, NFC Championship game where we were playing a pretty bad Bears team and they were on their third-string quarterback, boy, was I sweating bullets until B.J. Raji uh, had a pick six in that game. So I can only tell you how terrible it is to watch Packers games, particularly Packers playoff games with me. Regular season, you know, there's a next uh, another game next week. If they win or lose, who cares? But the playoffs, it just means so much more. So uh, going into this one, the one of the biggest storylines was Adams versus Jalen Ramsey. And there was some pregame chirping going on for this particular game. I guess now that we've had a little bit of hindsight, we've gone through all of the review. Who would you say won the matchup? Who I think won the matchup is who I think, before I even get too far into it, um, you know, the awful news about Ted Thompson today. Oh, um, yeah. The last month, the last yeah. month of Ted Thompson's time in Green Bay, one of the things he did was get that contract ascension for Devonte Adams. So I appreciate everything Ted Thompson has done for the organization. You know, we are probably one of the most spoiled fan bases in all of sports, you know, yeah. and a lot of that has to do with Ted Thompson and what he put together. And, you know, I know it got to a point because we're the most spoiled franchise probably in all of sports, you know, it got to a point towards the end of his tenure where some people were getting really, really upset with him. And I never really truly understood that there's still a lot of his handprint that we have on the team this year. Um, his first pick ever was Aaron Rodgers, you know, taking a quarterback that we didn't necessarily need. And then he stood by Aaron in 08 too, when everybody was like, what the heck are you doing? You're not resigning Brett Favre. What are we doing? And he stood firm and he made a lot of tough decisions. So before I get into it, I, I personally really appreciate Ted Thompson and everything he did for the organization. I personally remember getting into some rather heated arguments with some people that we know very well. Uh, the Eichstead brothers, uh, who are no longer a part of the league at this point, um, you know, unfortunately for one reason or another, but, you know, that were huge Brett Favre fans. Uh, I remember getting into it with uh, Ben a little bit, but more uh, one uh, avid listener of our podcast, Edwin Martinez, uh, yeah. he gave no end of shit to Ted Thompson. No. And yeah. uh, I, I remember him eating a little bit of crow after that Super Bowl. Not that I'm rubbing it in or anything, but I, I do think that there is an era of Ted Thompson around that Super Bowl. I mean, for being a six seed that year, you have to remember that I want to say we had, what, 15 to 18 guys on injured reserve by the end of that run, and how yep. ridiculously deep that team was. They lost a yep. first-round uh, linebacker who had been a multiple-time pro bowler in that, that spot, and his backup happened to step in and be the highest-graded linebacker that year. So we traded out Nick Barnett for Desmond Bishop. And yeah. for all the he confluence of things— like you, you yeah. think about that early part of that Ted Thompson era when we were coming off of the Mike Sherman time where he was the general manager and it, like his draft picks were awful. Uh, I think the first ever first round pick that we had was Aaron Rodgers. But I, I think also the second round pick in that year happened to be uh, Nick Collins as well. And you just start going through the list of guys that were huge contributors for multiple playoff runs, 
that were big time Packers guys that, uh, you know, are going to be in the Packer Hall of Fame. You know, not that that's as good as the regular Hall of Fame, but still like Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, um, you know, James Jones. David Bakhtiari was a draft pick Mm -hmm. in the like fourth round. I mean, turning that around. Corey Lindsley is still on this team. I mean, the amount of guys that Ted somehow found and uh, particularly mine, I I know that his last couple of drafts, particularly in the deep rounds, were not nearly as good. A few of those I can write off. The years for 2011 and 2013, pretty much you can throw out the entire first rounds from both of those drafts, if I can remember right. I, I think particularly 2011, Cam Newton, I think, is the only guy still in the league from that first round. So, I mean, it's just abysmal sometimes what you could get in some of those drafts. But uh, here's the other confluence of things. Ted Thompson, for as much as we say about Ron Wolf and all of his people that spread out across the NFL for GMs and Mike Holmgren and his coaching tree and the rest of it, Ted Thompson has a notable footprint on the current state of the NFL. He had Reggie McKenzie, who has a lot of impact still on what the Raiders currently are as an organization. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten another um, head coaching gig. He uh, brought up John Schneider, who single-handedly, I think, to a certain extent, gave the uh, Seahawks the ability to win a Super Bowl, got back to a second one, and really set up that entire franchise. You think about John Dorsey when he left, he went to Kansas City and was there for that early few years of Andy Reid before Andy Reid became the primary personnel guy in in Kansas City. But John Dorsey drafted a lot of the uh, primary players on that Kansas City team. Now, not some of the guys that have basically gotten them to winning right now, like Mahomes or signing Tyron Matthew or some of those guys. But still, you know, some of the staples of that, like their offensive line, are there because of that. I think Travis Kelsey happened to be a John Dorsey pick as well. John Dorsey also went over to Cleveland and was the one that drafted Baker Mayfield. Like for as limited a time as he had there, like his impact is significant on that front. And he has lieutenants everywhere. Elliot Wolf is going to be interviewing for some jobs in different places. Um, For that matter, Brian Gutekunst was also a guy from his tree. So I think, if I'm going to celebrate Ted, you have to look at how many teams, players, um, just an era of how uh, his footprint on the NFL and appreciate somebody who brought so much to the game in that front. And I kind of, uh, I had planned to include him in here and I somehow forgot it. So thank you for uh, bringing that up while we were going through this. Um, just kind of a small memory of him with that being said i think he would uh, definitely want us to kind of move into the territory for a team that he had a lot of um, affection for and um i i'm sure one of the few pride moments of his career with the the quarterback that basically is his legacy more or less so uh again i will repose the question Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams. Who do you think won that battle last weekend? Um, I think Devontae Adams won that battle, but we didn't really see them lined up as much as everyone was hoping that we were going to, as much as it was built up. 
you know, he did really have that nice slant against him. I know that doesn't sound as sweet, but as nice as Devontae Adams' feet are and as open as he got Jalen Ramsey's hips, like, that's the equivalent of an NBA crossover if there isn't one, you know. So I think Devontae Adams won the matchup. I was kind of surprised Jalen Ramsey didn't follow him around all that much, and he didn't follow him into the slot either, which for me – Especially come playoff time, it's all had all bets are off. Put your stud on your stud and just let him go. But uh, maybe that's why I'm not an NFL coach. I mean, Devontae had nine catches for I want to say like just short of sixty yards or something in that one touchdown, which I think you noted the slant play. I would say that Ramsey was playing his own coverage and so he wasn't supposed to take the middle. So it's kind of hard to blame him for that particular route. Not to mention that the um, goal line play, the one yard touchdown, um, was not something that he was necessarily responsible for, or he was kind of schemed out of that one. So if anything, I would say that, uh, Matt LaFleur beat Jalen Ramsey more than, um, anything else. But I, I think it's kind of neutral. Like when they were matched up one-on-one, there wasn't much or one guy that really got the advantage one way or the other. I think, Adams had a few catches here against Ramsey, but it wasn't anything significant. And I didn't think uh, Ramsey completely held Adams out of the game. I, I also don't think it really interrupted the Packers offensive flow whatsoever, because I mean, they put up almost what 500 yards of offense and 32 points. So it's really hard to say that uh, he won the matchup, but I also don't think Adams necessarily won it either. So I think it's kind of a wash and that's, that's the thing. Like, we we create so many of these narratives going into games that I just don't think when push comes to shove actually add up to a whole lot. It's just us talking about the game or having an angle to talk about the game. But that is the nature of our profession. Well, I mean, I would be a profession if we were getting paid for this. So that being said, let's move to the next question. Would this been of a, a completely different game if Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, and Cooper Cuff were actually healthy? I think it would have been a different game. I don't think completely different. I think the Packers would have won comfortably. I just think the Packers are that much better of a football team than the Rams. But you could most definitely tell the impact of Aaron Donald not on the field. You know, he sat a whole hell of a lot more than any one of us thought he was going to. I think he only played like 30-some percent of the snaps. Yeah, yeah, we all knew he was hurt. And we all knew he probably wasn't going to play as much as he was, but... As limited as he was, that was crazy. Um, Jared Goff, he looked better than obviously a week ago, but you could tell, you know, that thumb was still giving him giving him trouble. So I, it would have been a different game, but I don't think it would have been completely different. I don't know how different. I know Cooper Cup being in does have a significant effect on how the game is played from the Rams on offense. But ultimately, I think the Packers played a lot of deep coverage and kept everything in front of them. So the Rams had to string together very long drives in order to get things done. And ultimately, with the Rams offense, they're not going to be able to sustain 10, 15 play drives every time down the field. And I think that's where uh, Green Bay's defense was able to ultimately hold them. I don't think they did anything particularly to shut down the Rams. I mean, you look at it, uh, Goff was, what, 22 of, like, 29 or something, some ridiculous number, and really his incompletions piled up at the end of the game where they had to actually start throwing the ball down the field. But 
if you force them into short yardage passes, if you force them into having to run the ball a lot and you're able to make them go 10, 12 plays down the field, eventually they're counting on them to either make a mistake or have a bad negative play or something else. And I would think that we're probably going to see a lot of that again against also what I actually think is a much more limited offense than most people think in the Buccaneers this weekend. So Yes, I think it would have changed the game because ultimately Aaron Donald is by far the best defensive player in the league and he wrecks everything, but I don't know how much and it's really hard to say what this game might have been. So finally, and again, we focus on the teams more that lost in these rounds than anything that happened necessarily in the game, but I feel like last week when we were doing the show, we kind of missed out on the dynasty slash fantasy perspective and this is ultimately one of those podcasts so one of our favorite players topics for this season and pretty much the only player of significance right now fantasy wise for the rams because i don't know what that defense is going to be going into next season brandon staley obviously just went over to uh the chargers as their uh coach so he's basically trading um uh team training facilities, more or less. They still aren't going to play in the same stadium. But Cam Akers uh, obviously was hot towards the end of the season, was the go-to back. Darrell Henderson Jr. basically never got into the game. Even the backup running back or the guy that they would come in to spell him was Malcolm Brown. So given where we have some of the backs going into next season, where would you roughly have him in your rankings? Listen, I love Cam Akers. We all know I love Cam Akers. But I have some stats here just because I think this is a you question and you want to pat yourself on the back. And frankly, I'm getting fucking sick of it. So let's go into some stats here. Um, These were from about a week or so ago. I think it's the end of the season. Um, But Darrell Henderson had 138 carries. Um, Akers had 145. Yards per carry for Henderson were 4.5. Yards per carry for Akers was 4.3. Yak, 2.7. Akers, 2.8. Let's see. Ten um, runs of 10-plus yards. Henderson had 20. Akers had 12. And, like, carries inside the five. Henderson had 11 attempts, four touchdowns. Um, Akers had nine attempts, one touchdown. And I have one more, one more, one more. I know. I'm just I'm trying to rain on your parade. But rushing efficiency versus team run blocking grade as well. Cam Akers is down there in the poor rushing, good run blocking part of the chart. Other people in there with him are Malcolm Brown, Mozart, Singletary, Zach Moss, um, even Adrian Peterson, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. People in the good rushing, good run blocking part of it. The Camaras, Ronald Jones, Latavius Murray, and Jarrell Henderson is in there as well. So, I mean, I love Cam Akers. I love Cam Akers. I love Cam Akers. And I would probably take him a little bit earlier, too. But I still think there is kind of a question mark with how the Rams are going to use him. That's my only issue with with Cam Akers is how how the Rams are going to use him. Is it still going to be a mystery are they still going to be rotating as much is was he just the flavor of the month these last couple months that's kind of just how i feel but i love his talent i loved him coming out and i'm still angry that you have him but i just wanted to throw that shit at you just 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 to make you feel a little bit better all right 
<laughs> I, I basically stopped listening the minute you said you were going to try and rain on my parade. Oh, um, God. So, once again, I ask you the same question. Where do you have him ranked? I have him up there earlier. You know, he's obviously not ahead of Jonathan Taylor, but I have him ahead of the likes of DeAndre Swift. So, yeah, I for redraft, I'd probably look at him second round, third round, something like that. I like him a lot. I really do. I think there are a lot of changes to come, and this is going to be up in the air. But as of this minute, I think I had him listed in the last uh, mailing list that I sent out as number eight. Um, currently ahead of uh, people like Derrick Henry, but behind, I think, so Kamara, Cook, uh, McCaffrey are all ahead of him. Barkley, I think, would be ahead of him. Taylor's ahead of him. I'd be cautious to say Dobbins, but I think here's the the biggest thing and the, the biggest sign to me. I'm very confident in the late season volume. If he becomes the volume-heavy guy for a run-heavy offense with a decent offensive line, and they had a really good run offensive line this year, uh, I would expect big things for him going into next season. I'm not saying that he's going to be like a top 10 back, but when you pair volume with his potential, I think that's what's going to open up the offense. The other aspect of this is... And so I'm going to have this as a throw-in question. So this is just a yes or no, because we got to move to some of the other games here and for the sake of time. But just yes or no. Is Jared Goff the starting quarterback for the Rams game one next season? Yeah, see, and that's exactly it. I think if I were to say yes, it's only because I don't think they have another option. If they are presented with another yeah. option, you know they're going with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I agree with that 100%. Yep. So if they had the possibility of dropping Jared Goff or swapping out his contract or doing whatever, like if they could figure out how they obviously don't have the assets because they've traded a ton of stuff. So they're, they're not in the Deshaun Watson market. But even if you, for whatever reason, can figure out how to cut him without a bunch of dead cap space or unload him on somebody – and, I don't know, sign Dak Prescott because he can't get what he wants from the Cowboys or some weird number like that. Like, if somebody's decently available with the way that uh, McVay runs that offense and how quarterback-friendly it is, I think that this offense has a lot more potential, and that starts with Akers setting the tone and having some other receivers. I also look for the, the Rams to... Not necessarily replace right away, but more or less reload the uh, receiving core this offseason because Cup has had multiple big injuries over the course of his time. I think he's been more or less um, replaced-ish by Van Jefferson. They they just re-signed him this year. Yeah, I know. But I, I think they're limited in... So, all right, here's my other potential question and they were talking about a a bit about this during the national broadcast but is van jefferson more likely to replace the brandon cooks element of their offense or the cooper cup element of their offense because i think one of the biggest things that the rams were missing was that deep threat to really open up the run this year i still i don't think he's the brandon cooks type if i was to 
if I was to use him, I would use him like um, Cooper Cup. So I, I would tend to agree with you. I think they need an explosive down the field receiver. And so I would look for them, not necessarily in the first round or even the second round, but third or fourth round, a guy that just has top end speed that you could basically run down the field. I expect the Rams to go in that direction to open up the rest of their offense because you see what the guys with top end speed uh, as a deep threat have that really complements the rest of these offenses uh, in short yardage or to uh, at least make teams respect that element of your offense. And I think that's something that was really missing from the Rams' offense this year, even despite the fact that they were running the ball well. I just don't think anybody respected them being able to deliver the ball down the field. And so that that really uh, hampered what they could do offensively. So let's go to the next game. And I actually think it was probably the most boring of the weekend, given how much prep work we went into uh, talking about this game. This was the most hyped game going into the weekend, but that Ravens-Bills game was really boring. Um, I, I mean, the first half was marred by just bad play, missed field goals, turnovers, and then the game more or less was over after a particular pick six. But again, we're going to focus on the team that lost, so that happened to be the Ravens in this one, 17-3. I came out of this, and... I'm just, I've struggled with this now. This is the third year in a row where he played all right in the playoffs last year. He played, he made the big plays to beat the Titans, but it wasn't like the the Ravens really outplayed the Titans all that well. And for a team that's supposed to be one of these great teams with a great offense, they looked really limited against the Bills. And I know the Bills had them schemed really well. I know the win played a significant factor in this game, but let's take all of the factors out of it. I just don't know if I can see Lamar being the reason a team wins a Super Bowl. No, he's got to be a better passer, plain and simple. He just he has to be a better passer. Well, and this used to be the old adage. I think that quarterbacks who can run – uh, you know, Mahomes, uh, Wilson, those types, the mobile types offer you so much versatility, but the guy or the runners who pass, I think are much more limited than we give them credit for. And Lamar at some point is going to lose that top end speed that allows him to run away from guys. I think we've already started to see him just uh, barely lose half a step. So that's why he's getting crushed or leaving games with concussions. And he did leave this one. So you know, I, I'll tamper my criticism a little bit because he only played three quarters. But even at that, he has to win games from the pocket. And I don't think that that offense right now is set up for him to do that. And I think teams that are able to bottle up that running game just enough are going to be able to really uh, limit what they're going to do, particularly in playoff situations. If it's a regular season thing where you're just in the churn of uh, every week NFL action where teams can't specifically scheme you or prepare to set up specific defenses, or you're not playing elite-level defenses on a weekly basis, I think he can still have value. That's why I like him as a fantasy prospect next year. But I don't know if he can be the reason that is going to get you over the hump, which means you got to build out the rest of your team, which right now you can do because he's not at the point where you have to pay him. But 
if it gets to the point where you pay him, I think the Ravens are in a very uh, difficult bind. And I, I'm curious to see how they resolve that because they've been one of the stronger organizations for, I don't know, going on 20 years at this point. So just to me, that's that's the significant factor. And I'll be curious how that one develops, because I think they have a lot of offseason decisions to really um, think about. Now, the other guys that are involved in that particular offense. Now, we did see a decent game out of uh, Hollywood Brown against the Titans, but, you know, he wasn't uh, as effective in this game. Mark Andrews disappeared for long stretches of the season. Uh, He was predominantly featured in the run that they had at the end of the season as one of the top tight ends in fantasy again. But with J.K. Dobbins also added to this mix and clearly being the primary running back now uh, that they've uh, since cut Mark Ingram uh, later on this week, I guess where would you put any of these three guys in dynasty rankings at the moment? J.K. Dobbins I'm putting up there because we know that the Ravens are a running football team. So he would be up there with me, with Jonathan Taylor, maybe even <clears throat> ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Um, that being said, with Hollywood Brown, I thought he was going to have his breakout year this year. He would, I mean, everything you saw in the offseason, you know, he put on all this weight, all that other stuff, and he had a very, very quiet year and a very loud playoff game. That's about it. And still, his quarterback is still Lamar Jackson, so I don't, I don't trust the consistency. Mark Andrews, tight end, closest to the quarterback, runs through the middle of the field, easiest to see, pretty safe, a much safer bet. He's he's up there, you know, because we all know how awful the tight end pool is. So you know, he's a top four tight end in dynasty. So I really like J.K. Dobbins. I really like Andrews. It's just Hollywood Brown, the consistency for me, I don't like at all. Uh, Andrews is going to be up in the top five for me just because of the amount of targets that he gets in this offense. And so he's going to command a lot of that. He's a younger guy. He's going to be around this offense. And they traded Hayden Hurst for a reason. So I think that he is going to be that type of guy. I would agree also on Dobbins. I'm pretty much out on Hollywood Brown at this point. He, to me, is what Corey Davis would have been going into last season, that we're basically done with him. He was a guy with promise. He was a first-round pick, uh, not quite as high as Corey Davis, but a guy that we basically have given up on. And unless he has uh, Corey Davis, Devontae Parker-like turnaround, I just am not going to see it from him right now. I would expect that the Ravens have to draft uh, highly on um, pass rushers because they're going to lose two in the offseason here probably with uh, cap cuts. I would guess that they're going to load up on the offensive line and pass catchers. And I think those are three significant areas of need for a team that you would think that had a lot going into the playoffs as a team that could be one to beat or could beat several of these teams if given the right circumstances. So I think they're uh, a little bit further away than people expected to be close to a championship, especially after that 14-2 and season last year and the MVP run that there was. But I also think that you really have to try and maximize a very small window with Lamar Jackson as far as I'm concerned, because right now his primary ability is a runner, and I don't know how long that's going to last. Again, I think he is a test case for... Uh, these prototypical uh, mobile quarterbacks, more or less, the that type, than um, 
some of the other guys that are going to be around for a little bit longer because they can do things from the pocket. So we'll see how that develops over time, but that's where my curiosity lies. I think Dobbins... Here's my trouble with Dobbins. I I thought going into the year that if given the full load, he could be a top 10 back. They also didn't give him a ton of carries. They were still splitting him with Gus Edwards, even in the playoffs. And that uh, offensive line definitely was missing some of its best pieces by the end of the year. I wonder how good or not that offensive line is going to be even going into next year. Because when they had that big year two years ago, that was possibly one of the best offensive lines in football. They had either some retirements or some major injuries, and I think they really need to retool. So I think that Dobbins probably, based on that, slips below Acres in my rankings list, probably even below Swift, but I think he's just after that. He's a guy with promise and upside, but I think there are reasons to put the other guys ahead of him, particularly given who the coaching uh, spot went to in Detroit. He's a guy that I know is going to want to run the football. So let's go to possibly what was uh, almost the biggest upset of the weekend, the Browns and the Chiefs. And I got to start with, uh, before we even get to the quarterbacking situation, is the touchback rule the dumbest one in the history of sports? Yeah, I, I, it's easy to say, yeah, but what is what is the alternative? That's exactly right. You, you absolutely hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. Like, what do you do? Yeah. I I don't know if... Okay, if that happens, and I I think the part people object to is that you're um, giving it to the other team. So I think the only alternative would be put it on the 20-yard line, but let the offense keep possession. More or less, it's like a 20-yard penalty. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. It makes sense. I, I, I don't know. You know, like I said, I I think it's a stupid rule. I really do. It's, But what do you do? And, and I have heard the 20-yard rule, and out of everything that I've heard, that makes the most logical sense. But, I think it's you know, the fairest. It's also one of those, yeah, it's also one of those things, too, where the Patriots, when they saw that, all the Patriots that were, for the rare occasion, they were on Twitter and stuff during playoff games. They're all like, oh, Bill would be screaming because he preaches don't reach. Don't reach, don't reach. So, I don't know. It's stupid. I agree. 20 yards sounds good. Well, I think it it reduces your ability to get the touchdown, but at least you're not limited from the field goal. So, yes, uh, you end up with, with a few problems one way or the other, but ultimately it doesn't completely flip the game in the way that this play did. And so I just... It's hard for me one way or the other, but I really hate the uh, unnuanced takes that are, oh, the dumbest or play in the history of football or the dumbest rule. And if you've got it, if you're going to snipe on Twitter, at least bother to like suggest what your solution or alternative. (laughs) Something, something. Yeah. I mean, they gave you, what is it? A hundred or 180 characters now in order to do that. (laughs) Like you as the extra 90 characters to actually like give us something more to the discussion than you basically taking the victory lap and dunking on the same thing that everybody has to say, like have something original. I I'm, I'm so tired of this hot take bullshit. 
All right. With that out of the way, I think a lot of people think the Browns are in a really good position, that Mayfield played really well, that their offensive line is in good shape. They finally got a coaching scheme. And I think most people are in the camp where they thought the Browns this year are what we thought they would be last year when uh, they hired Freddie Kitchens, inexplicably. So I'll ask you this. Do you think the Browns are a legit playoff contender and will be back in these situations multiple times over the next couple of years? They should be. They have a good enough team. They've had two, they have plenty of early round draft picks. I think Kevin Stefanski is a good quarterback for Baker Mayfield. I think they gelled really well. I think the expectation should be to get the playoffs every single year because they're a decent enough team for that to be the expectation. I think they finally got in the coaching situation, right? My only problem is is that they moved in a much more analytics-driven way of scouting, and so I think that does limit what their ceiling may be as far as uh, draft and develop, which is what the next pieces are going to be. All right, you've got the quarterback in place. You've got a lot of the other big players in place. You know, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, those types of guys. But your defense was still very limited in that game, even against the backup quarterback of the Chiefs. Now, I understand Andy Reid is a great play caller. You're still going against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, who are possibly the best at each of their positions. But, you know, there, there are some things to clean up. That being said... I actually like the Browns position right now better than I do the Ravens. And I like their position better than I do the Steelers. I think they have more promise because again, they have a younger quarterback who can win from the pocket. And as bad as Mayfield has been over the last two years, probably about a year and a half stretch this second half of the season, he's somehow made himself into a much better quarterback. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Odell Beckham jr. There's been rumors that they're going to go out and sign another receiver, which I think would be a mistake unless they do something with Odell Beckham. Uh, There are rumors of like Allen Robinson going to the Browns, which I know that would excite you uh, tremendously. But I, I just wonder what their plans are, because I think this is a team with a lot of promise. I just would like to see them capitalize on it because that's been a tortured fan base for a long time. I I don't think there would be a bigger story than the Browns making the Super Bowl in the NFL. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, Cleveland would be set on fire. Like if it didn't burn when the Cavs won the, won the championship, it for sure is going to burn to the ground when Cleveland or when the Browns win. Just going to the Super Bowl, I think is a big deal because it's it's something that hasn't happened. I'm like, talking about AFC Championship. Yeah, sorry. When when uh, when they won against Pittsburgh and had a road playoff game, and everybody kept talking about that the last time they had won a road playoff game was 1969. Nobody made the comment. I went and looked at myself because I was curious. They weren't even in the AFC in 1969. They were in the NFC. Like that's how far back we're talking Browns history and how tortured and cursed they'd been. So ultimately, I, I I do think there are only four teams that have not been to the Super Bowl so far. The Texans, which have only been around since 2002. The Jaguars since 95. And then the two most tortured fan bases. One, which is just a pitiful franchise, and I, I want to thank them for handing the reins over to Dan Campbell, Mr. Uh, literally on his nameplate says the dude 
next to head coach. He's PC principal. He's yeah, PC I principal mean, from South Park. I, I, I have no... This is the guy that they brought into the Dolphins organization a few years ago and ran the Oklahoma drills. Like, this is the, the burly dude. I, I, like, I have no idea why they turned their franchise over to him. I know a lot of people have interviewed him and think highly of him, but I just... There's something about him to me that says meathead. And I can't imagine any team that is uh, worth its stuff that's going to turn the reins over. So, of course, it was the Lions. But whatever. Anyway, the point being that if you assume that that's out of the question, the Browns are the closer one to making a Super Bowl. I do think that by far would be the biggest story to happen in the NFL whenever it were to happen. It's... To me, the Browns making the Super Bowl would be on par with Tiger winning the Masters again, like that t- uh, two years ago that he did. Like, I, I think it would be one of the things that would be uh, a stop and watch moment for anybody. So, all right. Other questions from this game. Can we welcome Baker Mayfield back to the realm of fantasy starters going forward? Um, I'm going to wait for the offseason. I want to see what other weapons that he gets. Still too early to tell for me. So let let's make it this way. All right. Um, we have our mainstays. I think Lamar Jackson's ahead of him. Obviously, the top five: Allen, Rogers, Wilson, Murray. I'm trying to think who else is in there. Uh, we still have some things to to sort out in a couple of other directions. Prescott, you would have to assume if he goes back to Dallas, would be ahead of him. I'm trying to think who else you would definitely take ahead of Mayfield right now other than like those top seven, eight guys. Like, and if we're talking, he's in a, a legit top 10 discussion on an, you know, every other week. Like, would you take Matt Ryan over him? Mm, maybe. Matt Stafford. If Kenny Galladay is healthy, that would be one to think about. Cause I mean, Matt Stafford, he throws the ball a lot. And like, if Julio I'd, Jones is healthy all year long with Calvin Ridley, I'd like Matt Ryan. I would rather have Baker Mayfield over those two or Jimmy Garoppolo right now as a dynasty starter. I'd probably rather have him over Jared Goff. Um, I like Deshaun Watson's ahead of him. And after that, like we don't know what Joe Burrow is going to be coming off of the knee injury. We don't know where Carson Wentz is going to be. We don't know if Roethlisberger or, um, for that matter, Drew Brees is coming back. So I think there are a lot of questions up in the air for a lot of teams. But I like Baker Mayfield more than I like Kirk Cousins right now. And Kirk Cousins was comfortably inside the top 10 of fantasy starters for the last, like, seven weeks of the season. So I, I think there's a, a comfortable window where he's at least a marginal plug-and-play guy, a guy you could easily draft in the back half of drafts next year and feel comfortable with at least being a um, switch starter as I like to put it because I know a lot of guys like to select one quarterback late in the leagues the so quote-unquote fantasy experts in redraft personally I like going with two so that way I can kind of stream the matchups a little bit but that requires you to keep an extra quarterback on your bench which I don't find to be uh, nearly as detrimental as these guys seem to think it is but regardless I think he would be one of those guys in that back half where I would think a little bit more highly or that he has more potential given how play action heavy 
that scheme is right now and how set up it is for quarterbacks going forward. Because you have, again, I, the Stefanski came out of this same Shanahan type offense because he got trained under Gary Kubiak and some of those guys, and they run that same zone scheme type offense. I know he doesn't get the same credit for being under um, Kyle Shanahan as some of the other guys like McVay or LaFleur or even, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Zach Taylor, the former quarterbacks coach for the Rams does. But I think that that is a quarterback friendly offense if you run it to its extent. And if Baker Mayfield stays, grows into that offense, gets another full year, because again, this was his first year and we've seen how much quarterbacks flourish in that second year in that offense once they finally get stuff under their belt. Uh, I think there is a lot of potential for him going forward. I just I, I agreed with you. I want to see what his, the other guys around him are going to be. But you you know with Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant and the two running backs that he's not lacking of options. You just want that number one receiver still to pair with him to, to see what he's going to be yet. So, all right. What else do I have on my list? Uh, Kareem Hunt. Uh, he had a touchdown in this game, but his usage rate in games concerns me. Do you think he's fantasy relevant in the same way that he was this year in this offense yet? He's a handicap to Nick Chubb, really, because I think when Nick Chubb is healthy, he's one of the best backs in the league. So why would you use Kareem Hunt more than just to spell him or, you know, yeah, really just to spell him? So. I think he's possibly yeah. one of the top handcuffs, if that's what you meant. Handcuffs. In the yeah. yeah. I think he Absolutely. might just be a little bit better than that. But on again, you don't know when you're going to hit with him. I drafted him somewhat out of the possibility that I thought that the Browns were going to use him a lot on passing downs in out of the slot this year. There was talk about, you know, them going to an up-tempo offense and him being more of a receiving back. And that just never really materialized over the course of the year. So if he's not going to get the receiving threat, I just don't know what he's going to be in this offense. All right. You want to turn to our final game, the most watched playoff game uh, without being a Super Bowl in the history of the NFL, Buccaneers at Saints. Good God, did it look like there were two 40-year-old quarterbacks on the field? Because there were. So ultimately, I think this is the decision. I I don't think anybody thinks Drew Brees is coming back. Most of the talk this week has been with the assumption that he's not going to. If you're the Saints, and I think they were very constrained by him coming back this year because I don't think they could pass on him for what he's meant to the city and the team and the franchise, etc. That if he had decided to come back this year, they couldn't not take him. But I think they might have been better off, and even apparent in this, because they were going to make an offer to Tom Brady, allegedly, that I think they might have been better off with Tom Brady being their quarterback. And that would have been even more dangerous than he's been with Tampa Bay this year. If he decides to come back, do you think that the Saints should move on? Absolutely, they should move on. He was dealing with a lot of injuries this year, a lot that I was reading that we didn't even know about. Right. That being said, he's still 40 plus years old. You can tell that he's just not the same guy, not pushing the ball down the field. Now, you don't know if that's the injuries or not, but it's just something that you don't want. You know, his body's not going to get any better, I guess is what I'm saying. 
So if he's already starting to break down, not starting, you know, he's 40 plus, but if he's breaking down this year, what makes you think that next year is going to be any better? Jameis Winston is a young, is not a young, but he's a serviceable quarterback, one that can air the ball out and I think would fit into Sean Payton's offense pretty well. And then you have Taysom Hill that they still have as well, so they can still run those gadget plays with him. I think they'll be a more dangerous team next year. I really don't know where they're going to go from here. I, they're one of the biggest question marks for the offseason because I think, first off, they have a bunch of cap uh, situations, so they're going to need to cut salary in a lot of places. But Michael Thomas is a huge question mark. They have a huge question mark at quarterback and what that's going to be, you know, the fact that they were starting Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston for this back half of the year. And I, I really don't know what this team is going to be, but ultimately it's too talented to not be at least a playoff team with whatever quarterback they get. So this is just a giant open question mark for me. And I don't know if there's a good answer. I think Drew Brees has kind of come to the acquiescence that we all basically accepted in the second half of that game, especially after his third interception that it's just he's he's declined significantly immediately in front of our eyes. And I don't think that even he can deny it at this point. So I'll move to the next question. I think that has to be asked. I know that you could easily make an argument that they're the most cursed team over the past five years. But are they the most disappointing team of the past five years? I don't think disappointing would be the right word for it because I, I never came away from the saints being over the last five years being like, that's the team that should win the super bowl this year. I was always like, yeah, that's a pretty good team. They have a pretty decent chance of doing it, but they were, it was never like, you know, for example, when LeBron was on the heat, you know, where it's like, or the warriors more recently, where it's like, they're going to win the championship. I don't think you have that in the in the NFL either because I think the sport is just so different. So no, I don't think they're the most disappointing team. I would say luck-wise, yeah, absolutely. They had some bad fucking luck, but I think disappointing is too much. I I think I'm leading the witness a little bit on this one because I think they are. I think they are one of the most talented teams in the NFL and the fact that they didn't even make the Super Bowl. I think that two-year window where they had the Minnesota miracle where uh, personally I thought they were going to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, I thought they were clearly better than the Vikings throughout most of that game and to uh, have that taken away from them. And then for as pitiful as the Vikings looked in that NFC championship game against the Eagles that year, boy, I just, I, I don't know. Uh, ultimately, I, I think they were would have at least given the Eagles a much better fight. And I think they were more talented than the Eagles because they were kind of um, gelling at the right time. And that play just took so much out of them as a franchise. And then that weird pass interference at home against the Rams. I just know that the worst Super Bowl I've ever seen in my lifetime would have been a whole lot different if it was Drew Brees and the Saints that year against Tom Brady and the Patriots, that we wouldn't have gotten that weird 13 to three defensive game, which was just pitiful to watch that I, I think that would have been a much different game overall because I think the Saints were too talented not to have been in that game. But for whatever reason, they just have not gotten to that point. And you have to say that they are disappointing. 
ultimately the, it's the same thing if the uh, Green Bay Packers don't get to another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. To have a guy that arguably is a top 10 quarterback of all time and to have not gotten to the Super Bowl with this roster is disappointing. I think you could ask to a single Saints fan and not say that they are disappointed that they haven't gotten to the heights that they were supposed to go because this is a Super Bowl-worthy roster. And at this point, they're just limited by their quarterback declining too much over their, that time. That doesn't mean that you know Drew Brees isn't uh, a guy who should be lauded for his contributions and the fact that he was a Super Bowl-winning MVP. But you know, for the talent they have on this roster, I just I really don't understand it. I I know that you can point to it and say that they're cursed, but disappointing is the word that comes to mind for me. It just is. So uh, ultimately, as far as this game goes, did the Bucks win or did the Saints lose? I think a little bit of both. The Saints obviously were not at their best, but I don't think the Buccaneers did anything outstanding. For I was watching, I was like, oh yeah, they're they're going to this game, you know. And so I don't watching the Buccaneers. I, they, they, they haven't shown anything that they really, really scare me like these playoffs. They're a good football team. Don't get me wrong. That defense played really well, but nothing about that was just like, oh, shit. You know, like when you watch the Chiefs, you watch and you're like, oh, shit. Like even the Bills these last couple of weeks, it's like, oh, man, I haven't seen that with the Buccaneers. But the Saints played awful, absolutely awful. So I think it was a little of both. So the Buccaneers, to me, even though they were a little bit more patient in this game, they want to take those deep strikes, and the Saints played a lot of cover, too, in this game. So the Buccaneers were never going to put together 10, 11, 12 play drives. They want to hit those big shots, and the Saints just were never going to give them that. So even as well as they ran the football at times, and again, you know, Leonard Fournette played a decent game. He was probably the MVP of that game for them. Uh, I would say that maybe you give some credit to Cameron Bright, and then too many people are giving Scotty Miller, like, this huge credit when he had the one catch that Tom Brady drastically underthrew, or the fact that Tyler Johnson made a ridiculous catch on one play to continue a drive. But let's pump the brakes on this. All of their touchdowns came from short fields due to turnovers. Like, if they get into a situation where they have to put up touchdowns and do long, consistent drives where they're not shooting themselves in the foot with their play calling, I have yet to see them put together a lot of points without getting a lot of turnovers. They are a big play offense, and they are a big play defense. If you can limit them from doing either of those things, you're going to beat them. It's just simply that. The teams that have been able to play good, clean games against them have been able to take advantage of them all season long. And I would expect that to remain the case. So ultimately, I guess in order to answer my own question, I'm going to say the Saints lost this game more than Tampa Bay won it, even though I think there were some individual flashes of brilliance by the Buccaneers. So then finally, the fantasy question that we have to work on. uh, Outside of Alvin Kamara, is there anybody on the Saints that we should even have ranked for dynasty at the moment until we know what the quarterback situation is going to be. Well, Michael Thomas, just because the talent, you know, dynasty is always too like, what have they done for me lately? You know, so much recency biases in dynasty. It's, it's crazy. I fall victim to it. You fall victim to it. Everybody falls victim to it. 
we can't forget about how good Michael Thomas is. That being said, how much of that was Drew Brees? How much of Michael Thomas is going to come back with all the injuries that he 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 endured this year? You know, once Do you, you think get he's going to be on you, the Saints next year? Exactly, and that's another point too. You know, once you get cut open, you're never truly the same player. So we're going to see how much he truly lost, and is he on the Saints? You know, who's the quarterback? All that fun stuff. So. Yes, he's going to be on the rankings list. I don't know where you put him, but he's really the only one in Kamara, the only one that I would even think about taking so far on the Saints. Because, I mean, this is a guy coming off of setting the receptions record uh, the year before. Like, he, going into the year, would have been, uh, I think, at minimum, a top-five pick in most leagues. But right now, I have him completely off my board. Like, I remove him from the equation. Because I, there are just too many questions whether he's going to be with this team, what they're going to be doing at quarterback, and all the rest of that. And there's only one guy consistently that I could say or put my finger on and, and legitimately say, I don't care what the situation is going to be around him. I think he's going to produce. And that's Alvin Kamara. Outside of that, I, I really don't have anybody else on my rankings list at the moment just because of the questions. There are guys specifically I completely remove my from my rankings until I know a little bit more and I can see some of the data. And it's not that Michael Thomas is that young either. So I, I just don't know. He's never been a guy that's a deep threat. He's always been a rhythm wide receiver. He's always had a good connection with either Breeze or in that one case, Bridgewater. And so I just don't know what to do with him at this point. I, I, I feign to question exactly what uh, I should do. And so because of that, I think there are just some guys I'm going to remove from my personal list until I know a little bit more. I don't think that's too much. So because this episode ran a little bit longer than I was expecting, I'm going to cut it there and you can join us for our preview episode. So we're going to release these as a double feature for you. I was not necessarily expecting that, but we've had a good convo. So Join us on the next episode quickly for our uh, preview, and uh, we'll just run these back-to-back. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right.